Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse Golf Monthly's weekly look at the various different events around the world in golf. Today we hear from the postman Ian Poulter who tells us his desire to make the European team once again. We also look back on Tyrrell Hatton's superb Bayhill win and preview this week's Players' Championship. Hi, I'm Nick Doherty and you're listening to the Golf Monthly Clubhouse podcast. Hello, welcome to the Clubhouse. My name's Elliot Heath, filling in for Tom Clark, who is at Centre Parks this week. Good morning, guys. I'm with Sam Tremlett and Nick Bonfield. Hello, Elliot. How are you? Hello. Yeah, I'm very good, thanks. Uh, off to Gdansk this week for the second time, so looking well, forward to that. Polish city that you visited in the last three years. So yeah, just uh, covering the boss, Tom, who's off, and uh, looking forward to chatting golf with you guys. Do you think Tom's listening? Probably not. He's probably on the rapids and stuff on that massive slide at Centre Park. So what do you think of him as a boss then? He's an exemplary boss. He's a great of the golfing community. Wow. High praise GM indeed. tipster and all that. Sam's actually the new GM tipster this yeah. week, so we'll hear I've his had, betting I've tips had a lot of later. success this year as well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any golf this weekend? No is golf. Tom's I went normal bowling line? and bowled a very good score, actually. Bowled my best score for probably 15 years. I bowled a 203. Well, that is good, actually. Yeah. I was about to rip into I went for spare strike, this, but... spare strike, spare strike, spare strike, oh, spare strike. Didn't leave a pin up. Wow. Yeah. Um, have you got your own gloves and ball and stuff? I don't have my own ball. I mean, that's, I think that's the next step in my bowling addiction, but it has become somewhat of an addiction over the last few years. I love bowling. It's a great activity. Like Big Lebowski kind of style with the glove and everything, yeah. Oh, at the weekend, I went to the Emirates. I was in the executive box... Watched Arsenal get much-needed three points. Yeah, you helped Villa out there just about. Thanks for that. That was good. Uh, you were at Sport as well, Sam? Indeed, I was doing media stuff for Rugby World uh, for England versus Wales at Twickenham, and that was really good. Thoroughly enjoyed that. I also got sent um, the new Michael Bamberger Second Life of Tiger Woods book, and I'm reading that at the moment. Started that this weekend, so when that's out, I can't recall when it's out specifically, but I recommend going to get that. There's a lot of interesting stuff in there about the Masters and like where they all sit in the Champions Dinner, that kind of thing. And yeah, it's very interesting. So I recommend that when it comes out. Good, yeah, exciting game that. I was quite disappointed with Arsenal actually because I played my free hit in fantasy football, <laughs> putting Nicolas Pepe and Alec and uh, Aubameyang and neither of them did anything. So thanks for that. We're going to be starting fantasy golf soon, uh, the European Tour one. It starts at the end of this month. We've got the Clubhouse Facebook group, which is www.facebook forward slash groups forward slash the Clubhouse Golf Monthly. We're going to start a European Tour Fantasy League on that. So if you guys want to get involved, Absolutely. Uh, listeners as well. If you, uh, to, if you had to pick somebody right now for your team, who would you pick? Straight off the bat, putting you under pressure here. John Rahm. Bit obvious, perhaps, but... Somebody who I'm really liking at the moment is Christian Bezwadenhout. I think it's great that he's made the transition from that European tour onto the PJ tour. He had a top five last week or something like that. You I'd just love like his saying point. his name, don't can, you? Can we just say... You he finally nailed said, the pronunciation he, and now you love saying it. And he also just said that European tour, very much tongue-in-cheek there. <laughs> We're not... <laughs> right, anyway, somebody who, who's had a good time on that European tour in his career, also on the PJ tour, and is looking ahead to this year's Ryder Cup, is Ian Poulter. Ian Poulter is a DP World Ambassador, so thank you for those guys for setting this interview up. Our digital editor, Neil Tappin, spoke to Poulter on the phone yesterday and discussed quite a few interesting things like 
how Poulter wants to make the Ryder Cup team, how he'd be honoured to be captain one day. He also spoke about Paul Azinger's comments last week as well. So enjoy this one. I just wanted to start by asking you, obviously it's been a, a solid start to the year. How, how are you playing and how much of a, how much of a factor is Ryder Cup in, in kind of exciting you and encouraging you through the year? I mean, it's, it's been a solid start. I've played some great golf and, you know, I really feel that there's a lot of encouraging stuff leading into what's looking like obviously a busy a busy summer schedule. This is two of five weeks in a row at the minute. And uh, with the Players' Championship this week, um, Valspar, then the match play, I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to getting a good run of events, a good flow, uh, continuing some good form. And uh, if we eradicate the odd little mistake and hold a couple of extra putts, then I really feel we can add some you know, valuable points to that, you know, Ryder Cup tally and hopefully press on forward to, you know, to, to make the team. It would be uh, a huge honour again to uh, represent. And obviously with that in mind, you know, the goal really is focused on, you know, continuing to work hard on the game and obviously try and make that team. Is it an extra motivation for you or would you say that you're so sort of heavily self-motivated it doesn't really make much difference? I think I'm most, I mean, to be honest, I'm motivated enough, um, you know, being in a position where I am, I'm just outside the world's top 50, I've got, you know, enough motivation, will and desire to want to be back inside the world's top 20, and with that in mind, that is, if that is something which we do, come what, by September, um, you know, then what I would have had to have added you know, 150 plus world ranking points, and therefore that would subsequently be enough to actually, you know, to get me into uh, the Ryder Cup team itself. So I know, you know, I know what I have to do. I've done it before. I've made the team, and obviously, you know, I'm 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 working very very hard to to obviously make that a huge goal for this year. And um, what can you tell us about Whistling Straits? What what are your experiences of it? experiences of it and what can we expect from the golf course clever golf course i think when you um i mean famously we all know you know about the scenario of dustin johnson grounding his club in one of the i'm not sure is it 1300 bunkers around the golf course um you know for the pga when when, when we played it a few years back but um it's a testing it's a very visual golf course so clever Clever design, uh, bunkers position to pull your eye from one side of the hole to another. Uh, huge putting surfaces and uh, a tricky golf course. You know, sometimes we, I think a couple of times we've played it, it's been quite cold and windy. Uh, we could have that again uh, at the end of September, early October. But it's um, it's a tough test of golf, and you know, any any golf course that's generally had a major championship on it uh, reflects the style of golf course it is um, and a tough setup. So I would expect to see the same. It's going to be a good match play golf course. The closing hole, 17-18. Uh, very interesting long par 3, 17 with a huge drop-off kind of cliff down towards the water's edge on the left-hand side and then obviously a clover-shaped 18th green uh, which will be you know surrounded by lots of people. So it's um, it's a proper test of golf. Uh, f- fair to say, it's a little bit different to the 
the sort of usual style of Ryder Cup courses that we've become accustomed to. So certainly from the US side, you know, Medina and then Hazel team. Uh, this would be a little bit different. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're going to have slightly wider fairways, and you know those those courses you've named there are obviously you know park line park. Parkland Park golf courses, lots of trees around, and there isn't that at Whistling Straits. It's quite open, it's quite exposed, um, you know, quite severe banking around each hole, and, um, you know, uh, different from a visual perspective, certainly. It's like, um, it's like a modern links-type course, but you actually can't really run it up onto many of the greens, so... Um, you have to play, you know, you'll have to, you'll have to be landing it on the putting surfaces. Uh, Ian, I wanted to ask, what's it take to win on US soil? Because obviously, historically, it's, it's not happened an awful lot. You've been involved in a couple of teams that have managed to do it. What has been different about those teams? What have you done particularly well, uh, particularly when looking at it away from home? What do you need to do well to, to win away from home? After rally the storm and... You know what, what? What I mean by that is, you know, you, you're going to have momentum on their side. They have home fans. They have home course setup advantage. Um, and you know, it's all about momentum. If you can somewhat break a level of momentum, and that's what we've seen in Ryder Cups through the years, when a when, when a team has managed to stop some form of a a wave coming their way and break that up and, and actually take that and hold it for a longer period of time, that's when Ryder Cups have been won, won or lost. And, you know, we've done that very well uh, a few times on, on, you know, from a U.S. perspective uh, when it's been in, you know, on, in U.S. soil. So um, it's, it's going to have to be the same. You know, the team, the U.S. team is going to be younger this year probably than it's been uh, before. I think when you when you look at who's going to probably make the team, they're going to be they're going to be very hard to beat. But yet, you know, um, the start of golf course it is. I think visually, uh, it 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 kind of you know it doesn't it doesn't favour one or the other. Um, you know, certainly Paris favoured obviously us from a European perspective, but I don't I don't think Whistling Straits favours the Americans over us. No, interesting. And then, obviously, you you will know you know Podrig incredibly well. What what do you expect from him as a captain? Well, Paddy, great player, multi major champion, uh, someone that takes this very seriously, and um, you know I just know from speaking to him that he's been he's been working hard, you know, behind the scenes, um, not just on his golf game, but obviously making sure he's prepped and ready for this Ryder Cup and you know there's a, there's a long way to go between now and obviously September and that team that team will shape up very very strongly through those summer events um, you know I know he's looking forward to it I know he's going to make a very good captain uh, he's very thoughtful uh, he has his own opinions which he will be putting into this Ryder Cup team and I think he'll do a great job and then and I wanted to ask you about Paul Azinger's comments last week. Um, in light of what happened yesterday with Tyrrell winning uh, the Arnold Palmer, how much of a, again, how much of a motivating factor are things like that when they get said for the European guys? Um, you know, it, it, it was, 
it was a poorly explained um, 30 seconds of what I think Paul was trying to say. Um, I think what he was trying to say was that it's difficult to win on US soil and European players clearly want to win on the PGA Tour, which we do. Um, but when you look at it from, from an outsider's perspective, it's when you hold two tour cards and generally the people that hold two tour cards are in the world's top 50, we only play about 15, 16, 17 events on the PGA Tour. Four of them are majors, which are quite difficult to win. Four of them are WGCs, which are quite difficult to win. Um, you've got the Players' Championship, which is quite difficult to win. <laughs> so if you take those out of the equation and you take Memorial and you take Bay Hill, which are also difficult to win because they have the strongest fields of the year, we only ever play about four or five other events. Um, and because of that, they are difficult to win. And, you know, if you're, if you're going up against somebody that lives in the States, somebody that plays 28 weeks a year, um, you know, the best players in the world are tough to beat. And that's why you haven't seen, from a European perspective, somebody in Europe dominating the PGA Tour, unlike, obviously, Rory McIlroy, who plays and finishes top five. I think he's had the longest streak of top fives um, in a row, second to uh, Tiger Woods. So, yeah. so, so that happens to Rory McIlroy, and he happens to be world number one. So um, there's no surprise there. It's just difficult. You know, when you're playing against the, the toughest players week in, week out, and playing a very shortened schedule against what the Americans play week in, week out. That's why that argument and the comment doesn't stand up if you actually dive into it a bit more to try and evaluate why European players haven't won as often um, as perhaps Paul was trying to explain in that comment. It, you know, it wasn't a great comment. Um, it was a little uh, condescending and... Um, we don't need any extra motivation. We, we, we play for ourselves and we obviously want to win. So um, we'll see if that comment has any, uh, any more uh, meaning to come at the end of September. Indeed. And Ian, I also wanted to ask you about Ryder Cup captaincy yourself. I know that you want to be focusing on, on playing, but is there any part of you that has one eye on in the future thinking this could be something I really want to get my teeth stuck into? Um, you know, it's no secret anybody that, you know, Ryder Cup has probably been uh, and means an awful lot to me right from making my first team in 2004 um, up until, you know, 2018. You know, I'd like, I'd like to make another, another Ryder Cup before, you know, you, you hand it over to some of the younger guys coming through. But, you know, with that in mind, obviously, being a Ryder Cup captain would be a huge honour, privilege and something that I would absolutely love to do. Um, and Ian, can you um, tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing with, with DP World? Sure. Um, I've been a partner now at DP World and, uh, for, for, for just over a year. And, you know, when you look at what DP World has done for the European Tour, you know, just over a decade, um, it's fantastic to see. Um, you know, the grassroots initiatives that they share is, you know, it's a vital part of actually growing the game of golf. That's where they want to 
you know, grow the game. And, you know, with players like myself that have children that want to, you know, make it more inclusive for everybody to come and play golf, uh, it's been, a, you know, it's been a great partnership, you know, doing the initiatives and the teaching programs um, and where they sit within the game of golf is, uh, is fantastic and hopefully long may that continue. And Ian, I, I'm personally someone with, with young kids that I'm desperate to get into golf. You've successfully done it with yours. What advice would you give me? No, it's all about making it fun at the end of the day. And, you know, with, with kids, just like I was growing up, you know, I, I wanted to have fun whilst practising. And as much as it is you want to be able to teach your kids how to play golf, you've also got to teach and make sure they stay interested. And, you know, when it's a game of being an individual like golf, um, it's great to be able to get them in groups of other kids that have the same interests, that have the goals, that want to compete, whether it's chipping competitions, putting competitions, or even just trying to hit the ball picker up as he goes around picking the balls up. You know, <laughs> making the game fun uh, for kids is the best way to keep them interested. And it's such a, you know, for me, it's such a great social game. Um, we can have, you know, fun on the golf course with multi generations and. You know, because of that, um, it's, it, it's just great to teach them, you know, how to play golf, what golf means, the life lessons of golf, and um, I'm enjoying doing it, you know, at 44 years of age, and, um, you know, hopefully I can, I can teach many more to come through. Yeah, and I was going to, just finally, last question, going to ask you, so, so it still is fun for you on the golf course, is it, Ian? You're not, um, it's not become business. You're still able to enjoy the sort of social aspect to it and the sort of fun side that you were able to enjoy growing up. No, it, it is. Look, first and foremost, it is business. And um, you, we have to treat it like business. You have to go about your daily routines like it's a business. You know, you're trying to earn your world ranking points. You're trying to, you know, earn enough money. Um and all of your rankings. So first and foremost, yeah, you can't you can't not get away from the fact that it's strictly business. And then after that, it's about enjoying yourself. Once you've done your homework and you've done your business stuff, it's about going out to do your trade on the golf course and enjoy the game of golf. Yes, it gets stressful at times, and you know, golf course setups get difficult, conditions get difficult. But it's about understanding what's ahead, trying to enjoy it as much as you possibly can, um, because we've seen, you know, most people that enjoy their golf and play good golf generally figure at the top end of the leaderboard. So that was Poulter there, I hope the quality was alright over the phone, I found that a really interesting interview, I particularly liked his quotes on Azinger, he didn't want to be dragged into saying anything too controversial, I think he was quite nice on that. Yeah, also, I, think, I think he got that right, I think he said what everybody's thinking is that um, Azinger just worded it really poorly yeah. basically also that he'd be honoured to be a Ryder Cup captain one day I think he's favourite for the job at Bethpage in 2024 I reckon oh that'd be good so yeah we've got rowdy, rowdy New York fans that was a terrible accent I apologise <laughs> <laughs> we've got Harrington this year haven't we 2020 yeah then what, probably Westwood Westwood in Rome yeah Poulter in New York, I think personally, but then we got some amazing fans. Would absolutely love that. We got some amazing captains coming up, like Graham McDowell, yeah, Donald Sergio, Kennedy. yeah, Donald. Yeah. Who else? 
Sandy Lyle. No. <laughs> Henrik Stenson, possibly? Possibly, yeah. Could you imagine the Ryder Cup in Sweden? Brohofslot. Brohofslot, Bro yeah, and I can really see that. Good. I can see that. Yeah. I mean, it's a big enough golf course, there's enough drama there. I can see that. What about Tiger Woods as well? Yeah. I mean, Up against Poulter at Bethpage? Oh, Woods v. Poulter. Epic. Like, from, from again, so I'm talking about that book again, he mentions Tiger's dislike of Poulter big time. So there was one, really? Yeah, there was one year when... So he basically said, like, he just talks a little bit too much and all this kind of stuff. This was, like, ten years ago or so. Um, and there was... The, the year where Nike basically said they wanted to wear lilac, for, they sent a memo out before the tournament saying, right, Saturday is our day for lilac. And then Poulter's paired with Tiger and wears a lilac shirt just to really rub yeah. it in, rub salt in the wound. But uh, yeah, anyway, Poulter would be a really good captain, I think. Yeah. Do you think he'd make the team this year? No. He chance. says there that he wants to qualify automatically, basically. He, I don't see it happening at all myself. He's going to need to play some really good golf to do that but he's capable of that isn't he's he capable well, capable. It, but there's nothing in his recent form that suggests he's going to do that I don't see it at all myself if he doesn't qualify automatically do you think he'll get a pick I think he, he would yeah just going on Susan Pettersson getting picked last year for the Solheim Cup nobody thought she should have played and then when it comes to the big moments players with that experience yeah. kind of tend to deliver mm. I mean if Poulter goes out against I don't know Colin Morikawa or some youngster it's 50-50, isn't it? It's not. Oh, yeah. is definitely going to lose because he's had a poor season. And he's got experience in the US. He lives there. Ryder Cup legend. Although I would say that Tom and I didn't actually pick him for our team. We picked Stenson over him for the final pick. You're going to pick an out-of-form Poulter or an in-form Rasmus Hogard? Poulter all, all day. What about G-Mac as well? This It's going to be very exciting to see how that team's going to golf is strong. There are so many players that are going to stick their hands up for this one player who is likely going to be in the team now is Tyrrell Hatton who won his maiden PGA Tour title at Bay Hill last week finished at four under to beat Mark Leach by one he's up to 22nd in the world won 1.67 million dollars get this four starts after winning two million dollars at the Turkish Airlines Open in November since then he's had wrist surgery I think he was top 10 in Mexico as well in his first start back really impressive from Hatton who uh made his Ryder Cup debut in 2018 didn't really do much last year up until that win in Turkey I thought it was a brilliant tournament winner was four under par tough conditions only one man broke 70 all weekend it was just a great week I thought that's that's the kind of final round that I want to see uh, with conditions like that and as you say really impressive from Hatton and wrist injuries are ones that tend to linger as well I mean they have a track record of lingering you look at players like Alvaro Quiros Alex Noren who have never really been the same since their wrist surgery so to come back and win in your second event after is, is really impressive yeah and the way he dealt with that tough closing stretch as well I thought was great the iron shot he hit into 17 yeah it's basically as close as you can hit it on that hole yeah it's perfection moment, wasn't it what a moment to produce a shot like that and then obviously two great shots into 18 there was never any threat of him bogey in the last which given the fact he never won the PGA Tour before uh, is just testament to his character and, yeah. and his ability his his iron play all day was unreal so like I've written down some notes here so his iron shots into 2-3 and then he birdied 7-8 and eight, like longish irons 6 iron or stronger were just unbelievably good in that in those conditions in that wind I mean how he came back from that double on 11 as well so like the Tyrrell Hatton possibly of a year ago two or three years ago maybe would have choked a little bit like lost it b- bottled it a little bit because of his anger maybe but I mean it was brilliant to see he like 
he himself said he like held it together so well. You say that, but I kind of think that he needs that. He plays his best golf when he's on that knife edge. Like, literally every single yeah. shot he hit. I've been in this situation before. I'm sure you have as well. I don't know about you, Nigel. You're quite laid back on the course. But when, you know, you, you really want to hit fairway, you just see the ball fading off into the rough and you just it eats you up. And he's kind of like that, isn't he? Yeah, but there's ways of responding to that annoyance. There's internalising it and maybe giving a bit, bit of an ah or squeezing your hand or something like that you mm. don't be don't hack up not, the golf course not doing a green. shotgun gesture at the pond that you just hit your ball I thought into. that was quite amusing to be honest <laughs> I, I, I find that fairly harmless it's a way of him expressing his annoyance without hacking up the golf course and then he sort of cleared his mind afterwards and then stabilised yeah. afterwards which was impressive because that could have gone the other way given how tough the conditions Sam I like that quote you said earlier from David Ferty He's nice to everyone apart from himself, was yeah. it that? Yeah. Yeah, he does seem a really nice guy. I think he gets quite bad press. We see our comments on social media all the time, and uh, he's quite polarising because of his on-course temper. Yeah. But like my point was, like it seems in the past that he would have let that anger at one shot carry over into the next shot and the next shot after that, whereas this time he didn't. He parred in after having that double, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that is in those conditions. That is really damn good golf. I still find it surprising that he didn't know where he stood in the tournament until he got to the fourteen. Yeah, yeah I heard that. I just, don't, I've, I've heard the reasons for it, and I still don't understand. And I can't get on board with players who say that they don't watch leaderboards. I don't get it at all. It must be essential to form your strategy, surely. But what do I know? I'm not a professional golfer. Yeah, it seems, yeah. <laughs> it seems mad to me. No. Uh, also at Bay Hill last week, Fleetwood missed his first cut since the 2018 French Open. Been in that stat up for quite a long time so it's sad that it's ended but I remember um, Justin Rose missed a cut maybe late 2018 and then that inspired his amazing run to world number one Colin Murakawa did make the cut that's 21 in a row from him now since turning pro he's up to 44th in the world and that's the longest streak on the PJ Tour I mentioned him earlier for the Ryder Cup I think he's definitely a contender uh, and then we had James Cooper on Twitter who asked us does Hatton's win prove Azinger is talking nonsense about that tour we didn't need that win to prove that he was talking nonsense no, about exactly. that it's, It was a ridiculous comment. He phrased it poorly. I don't think he meant to be as disrespectful as he was being. No, um, I don't think so. I think either. it's just an incident yeah. now that we accept that he was wrong. He probably accepts that he was wrong when we moved past. I hope it doesn't linger. I hope that every single time a European does well on the PGA Tour, it's not dredged up because that would just become tiresome. Yeah. He said the wrong thing. We all do it from time to time. Let's move on. It, it, it seemed like at the time he started saying something and then he realised what he said and then he tried to get himself out of the hole a little bit. Yeah, he mentioned worldwide as well, didn't he? It it seemed like he was like, oh God, I've realised what I've said and now I'm going to try and get out of it, whereas actually probably made it a little bit worse at the time. I mean, again, as Poulter said in that little uh, audio, he he just worded it poorly, I think. Speaking of Rose, what is going on? Another miscut. (laughs) Three miscuts from four events now. It's very concerning. Uh, well, I don't know. You would know because you are the Rose super fan, but it's kind of worrying, isn't it? Rose, Justin Rose doesn't miss three cuts and four starts, so something odd's going on. I'm still going to bet on him this week because he's, I saw him at 66 to 1. Really? I oh, he's um, out of form, but Justin Rose at 66 to 1, and he played pretty well there last year, I seem to recall, so I'm definitely going to have some of that. I he would, will come good again at some stage. I would say as well, listeners, last week Nigel tipped Matt Every at 500 to 1 and <laughs> I said you have to back him and somehow he didn't. And he was, uh, it was squeaky bum time Thursday evening, wasn't it? <laughs> leading after round one. Yeah, it was something like 400 to 1 to be leading after round one. Thanks for not mentioning the second round, the 83 or yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you like, should have said that you made a bet 
to have him as first round leader. <laughs> yeah, he got you out of jail there, didn't he? Uh, right, Mason Brooks on Twitter asked us, what is going on with Rory McIlroy's Sunday afternoons? So yeah, let's chat a little bit about Rory now. I was dredging up some stats of his from this year and it's uh, very interesting. But on a positive note, this was his 100th week as world number one this week. Uh, last week was his seventh consecutive top five finish. Only Tiger Woods has matched that. He's done it three times. And he's also had 23 top tens in his last 29 starts. But we can't really ignore the fact that it was a poor final round for Rory. He shot four over par, I believe. And yeah, he has some worrying stats looking at them. He is first in scoring average. That is despite ranking 92nd on the PJ Tour in putting. Uh, he's off the tee sixth, approach the green third, around the green 19th, tee to green second, total second. So his putting is way behind where it needs to be. I know, Nigel, we've spoken about this a few times this year. Uh, score on average, first round first, final round 79th. Putts per round, first round sixth, final round 150th. So I know there are a lot of numbers there, but essentially McElroy is not getting it done on Sundays at the moment, like Mason Brooks on Twitter did say. What's concerning to me is that he has been the best player in the world for what's it, 12 to 18 months now, getting to world number one and everything. He should have proved that he's been the best player in the world over that time. And he should be proving that in these final rounds. And he seems to have no intimidation factor to him. Like the other players don't seem to be afraid of Rory if he's in contention on a Sunday, which he's the best player in the world. He, they should be. They should be concerned that, oh God, like, because if Brooks is there, usually you think, oh, Brooks is going to get it done, don't you? No, only in a major. Only in a major. He doesn't care for <laughs> only, regular events. Or, yeah, or, yeah. Yeah, so he was basically leading after, or thereabouts, after five holes in the last in the final round. You, after four holes, sorry. And then he played his last five holes on the front line in five over. I mean, I mean conditions are tough. Like, he, of he, course, yeah. Yeah, totally. So and I know he doesn't have the aura around him that, that Tiger Woods did in his pomp or Kepka in a major. I think it's quite simple. It's, um, it's become a psychological thing to an extent. And I'd be concerned for him going forward if he's in contention in and around the lead after three rounds at Augusta. He's already got the whole Grand Slam monkey on his back, hasn't he? Yes. So if you add this putting and final round difficulties into the mix, then mentally that's going to be a very tough challenge to overcome. I'm not saying he's not going to do it, but I do think it's become slightly psychological. Having said that, I would caveat that with the fact that McElroy's never been a great player in really difficult conditions. Mm. I mean, I know you will say that he's won the US Open, but he won the US Open in very wet conditions. It didn't play like a typical US Open. He's never been great in those conditions. He's never been a real battler, has he? You think of all his victories, they tend to be quite fluid. His major wins, he was double digits under yeah. par for all yeah. of them. So that wasn't his ideal setup. Having said that, it was concerning to see him miss so many fairways. He's normally very good off the tee, and I think he only hit about 24 25% of fairways. And we should say as well with this, he is world number one, and just he's been playing so well of late. Like, that's not easy to do in itself. So it's not like it's doom and gloom for Rory. It's just something hasn't clicked on the Sunday. I mean, it's happened several times now, but we should be careful to say... Oh, he's an, he's a bottle job. Oh, he doesn't win tournaments yeah. when he's on Sunday. Well, no. he's still world number one. He still won what, three times last year no. in big events. Four times. Four uh, times we were having sorry. this conversation last year as well. At this time of year, he was doing the exact same thing. Won the players, and we're like, oh, he's he's back on the horse. He's exactly. going to win majors. Yeah. I don't think anyone's saying that he's he's a bottle job or anything like that. But I think we're saying that it is a slight issue. I think psychologically. Mm. Well, well, I don't see how you can dispute that. The fact that our world number one ranks 92nd on the PJ Tour in putting, it doesn't quite compute, does it? 
but it just shows you how good his long game is. And the fact that he ranks first in scoring average yeah. with that putting. Isn't that mad how, like, putting, everybody always says drive, show, putt for dough, don't they? Well, that's an outdated construct, I think. Uh, well, yeah, but like, gains about eight strokes on the field. It's, off it's the mad the how, how the game has changed. Like, yeah. if you just have a moderately good day on the greens, you're okay. As I've said... For the, if, the last four weeks in this podcast, if McIlroy has an above-average tournament on the greens, he, he wins. wins the tournament. Yeah. Again, he lost strokes to the field on the greens. Uh, uh, yeah. It's. I mean, it's it's becoming a thing now. His issues in the final round, but we should be careful to say it's like. He, yeah, we should be careful to like make some of the comments that some people would make on social yeah. media that he's a bottle job and stuff like that he's when not, he's clearly not because he's won. But he's going to start getting questions about it from the media now, and there's in his press conference before the players he'll get questioned about it in the lead up to Augusta at Augusta he'll get questioned about his final round scoring average I I think the Grand Slam everything like that so that when you start getting questions on something you inevitably start thinking about it more so that only adds to I guess the weight of expectation it will be tricky for him to overcome this but I fully fully expect him to do it yeah I mean people say last year was one of his best seasons ever but golf at that level is about creating history isn't it and he didn't add to that major tally and uh I just hope he does it this year because, like six you said, years. like you said, Nigel, it is a psychological issue. I think it is. It's six years since he won a major championship. Yeah, that, that that's is, way that's, too long for a player of his caliber. That is mad. Meanwhile, Kepka's won four in that span. We should talk about Kepka though. He's lost something of late. He hasn't lost anything. He just doesn't care about regular events. The thing is, though, that's that. It seems like that's a total cop out because just because he's playing badly and it. Everyone says, oh, he doesn't care, oh, he doesn't care, he doesn't care. I think he does care. It's just, A, he's probably had surgery on his knee and he seems to be changing his clubs a little bit at the moment. So I think it's a bit of a cop-out to say, oh, he doesn't care about these regular events just because he's missed the cut, just because he shot 81. I, I think he's just playing badly. when it comes to Kepka. See, I that's fully, bad. That shouldn't be a thing. I, I know, but that's how much of a freak he is in a, in a positive way, not a negative way. And I fully expect him to be on that final leaderboard at Augusta, despite his inconsistent form of late. Somebody who I think will be up there, Augusta, just going off topic. Sung Jae-M. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's going to be a superstar. And he can putt. He can, he can do everything. Apart from swinging the golf club fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But a great so third place watch. finish last week. So I was also really impressed with Mark Leishman. Mm. He, uh, he didn't wilt coming down the stretch. And he really made Hatton earn that win. Another one who's got a good record at Augusta. He's been unlucky not to win a major before. Also last week, Jorge Campillo beat David Drysdale in a playoff to win the Qatar Masters. Campillo was putting the lights out in the playoff. Did you watch it, guys? Yeah, it's impressive. He's someone who's really turned his career from that of a sort of journeyman's without you know wanting to disrespect him into quite an accomplished European tour player. So yeah, you're right. A couple of wins now. So that was his 250th start, so he must have gone... 220 starts without a win because he two, won two, it. Nine. I think it was 229. Was it? Yeah. Because he won in Morocco last year, didn't he? Yeah. Now, you got to feel a bit for David Drysdale. That yeah, was that's... his 498th European Tour start. He turned pro in 1995. Never won on the European Tour. And he played the playoff hole so well. Like, he was flagging it and then Campillo just went crazy with his putter. Yeah. Like, they, both, they both birdied the first two playoff holes. Campillo held like a 20-footer and then a 25-footer. <laughs> After Drysdale stuck oh, it to four just... foot on the second yeah. playoff. He can't really complain, can he? He gave it his all. There's One not... of those things, I'm afraid. He walks away with a decent check. A very lucrative career. Obviously, he wants to win, but you know there are people out there who have had worse careers than he has. 
Yeah, definitely. So Campillo is 33. I always think he's older for some reason. I don't know why. Is he wearing a logo on his cap these days or not? Yes, he signed with Callaway this year. Mm. I think he was a free agent last year or with Mizuno. He definitely had Mizuno irons. I think he was a free agent. Yeah. I think he had like TaylorMade M2 or something. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, so uh, should we move on to this week's major, the Players' Championship? Won a goals uh, top five. Of course, I'm only joking. Hosted at TPC Sawgrass. McElroy won last year, is the defending champion this week. This year, has seen a huge prize fund increase to $15 million. The winner picks up a cheque of $2.7 million. Uh, 47 of the world's top 50 are playing. Woods isn't playing. Woods is out with injury because of his back. He says it simply isn't quite ready to play. Thank God you didn't ask. Like, hopefully like, we'd have a quiz because... If you'd asked me the three players who were who were playing, I wouldn't have got any of them. <laughs> no, aside from Tiger, maybe. <laughs> no um, quiz this week. Yeah, exciting event. I love this event. Last year was really good. And uh, look down that that list of winners. We've seen some great moments back in '01, Tiger Woods, 2000, Hal Sutton, 20 years ago now, Sergio Garcia winning in 2008. Fowler, I think, in 15 stands out for me. Fowler when he birdied, yeah. he birdied the 17th three or four times on the three times on the final day. Yeah. yeah, yeah, incredible. And he eagled sixteen, I think, in regular, didn't he? I'm pretty certain he eagled sixteen in in regular regulation. Regulation, that's the word. Sorry. Yeah. So aside <laughs> from the, the field, I think one of the reasons why it's such a great tournament is the closing stretch for me is the best closing stretch in golf. Oh. Sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. Eagle potential, oh. but also water on sixteen. Potential for twos or disaster on seventeen. And then obviously a very daunting driver on eighteen too. Um, if you get your drive away, you're probably coming in with a 9-iron or an 8-iron, but obviously it's very easy to pull it straight into the water. Yeah, I remember last year, McElroy, I don't know what he did at 16, maybe birdied or something, got to 17 with the lead, and it's just such an epic stage. Mm. It's that a pin is It's a wedge, but it's like right. Rory McElroy could potentially miss the green here with a wedge. He likes missing Because of the wedges, pressure. Doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's actually quite good with his wedges this year. Well, statistically, is he? Yeah. I still don't have much confidence with him when he's got 140 yards <laughs> anyway, green. anyway. We'll talk about yeah my favourite thing like all the players like competing in it and everything but I love the course like because I used to play it on the old uh, Tiger Woods PGA Tour games mm. on, on Playstation 2 I, I'd love that love that course and Bay Hill actually because they were on there as well and it was on there yeah, it's got like the par 5 was it 11 is another great hole and then the little the, the par 3 at 13 all of the par 5s yeah. are so strong it's a fantastic yeah. golf course because um, like all the bunkers are absolutely massive and like there's so much water in play. Um, it's just. Was it last year that John Rahm tried to hit that ridiculous three yes. without a bunker? Yeah, I think it was an iron. I think it was an oh, iron. Was yeah, he yeah. was trying to hit like a draw, wasn't he? Like a massive draw. Yeah, in bunker. his defence, he said he can hit that shot nine times out of ten, and you know what a talent he is. He would say that, wouldn't he? <laughs> but uh, yeah, his his caddy wanted him to lay up, didn't he? Which he which was the smart play because he's good, really good with his wedges. So lay up, wedge on, putt in. Very yeah. risky move though as a caddy, isn't it? Because it's supposed to be a, this yeah. relationship where you can share information and you respect the other's opinion. But if you go put your neck on the line and say something like that and it goes wrong, then the relationship is going to be strained for the rest of the round. And the player can use that as an excuse why I didn't go over the line. So you have to be really confident in your own mind to say something like that to a top player. I think, I think and for them not to hold it against you. Yeah, I think the caddies and players they're always pretty close on that kind of stuff, and they obviously have an agreement beforehand where. Like the caddy will say, I'm gonna be able. I should be able to say what I want to say, and I'm gonna make my point clear. And then the player is gonna to have to accept that, like that kind of thing. That kind of relationship is probably the ones that uh, 
perform the best. Yeah. Um, Remind me of Shooter McGavin in, uh, in Gilmore, <laughs> where Paddy suggests using a 5 iron and he holds it with a wedge and fires him immediately. <laughs> 5 iron, huh? Well, yeah. you're fired. <laughs> oh, we should do like a podcast on Happy Gilmore. God, oh. it's so, such a good movie. Yeah, we all watched that quite recently, didn't yeah, we? I love it. Oh. So many things about that film crap me out, like the 400-yard marker on the range and the ruling where he has to play the ball off the guy's foot. Just so many inconsistencies. The, the, the rules so funny. say, play it as it lies. And uh, I love that the caddy puts the tour bag on the green as well when his players putt in. I like when the caddy bends down to pick up the quarter. Yeah, yeah. Mark's got the coin. And he goes, oh, mine. That actually <laughs> happened to me uh, when I was playing a couple of years back. Someone bent down and picked up the pound that I'd used as a marker and just put it in his pocket. And I looked at my playing partner. And we What's both, just happened? We both just cracked up. Oh, anyway, we've gone off topic again. Yeah, who are we picking this week? Sam, you are the, the resident tipster. Tipster this week. So I've gone with Patrick Reed. Right. Um, I think so that's I've, a very good pick. I've found him at 33 for 33 for one? 33 to 1, which I think is really good odds for him anyway, considering he's on really good form. He's just won in Mexico and he came second at the Tournament of Champions, a couple of other top 10s of late. I mean, he always seems to raise his game at the big tournaments, doesn't he? Yeah, I like that. I will go for Christian Bezwaden Hope. <laughs> I think he is a uh, a superstar as well, a bit like Sanjay and perhaps not going to become world number one, which is what I think him will. Uh, I'll also pick him as well. Those two are my, <laughs> my two guys this week. And my third pick, oh, probably how many, how many picks you second favourite, John Rahm. John Rahm is second favourite, 12, 12 to 1. Yeah. Just because you think he's going to win every week, right? Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah, fair. I mean, I can't argue with that. Um, sorry as well, Tommy Fleetwood might be at good odds after his miscut. And like I was saying earlier, this could spur him on. I something. think I saw him at 20, which really right. isn't that good. That's Well, he played well last year, but that's far too low for me to go anywhere near. Really? Yeah. A yeah. guy that's just A won... guy who's never won a tournament on the PGA Tour. Yeah, Tyrrell Hatton <laughs> won last week. He won the Ned Bank in, like, November. I'd rather have Justin Rose at 66-1 to 1 than Tommy Fleetwood at 20-1. to 1. Interesting. So yeah, you're going no, for Rose yeah, again, I, I'm, gonna, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying he's going to do well. I will put money on him because a quality player like that doesn't stay in the doldrums for long. And 66 to 1 is ridiculous odds for someone who's got a good record at that course and is such an imperious player. But I'll go for Matt Fitzpatrick as my pick. He shot 69 in the final round last weekend. The only player in the field to do so. Uh, style of golf course, it's a lot of fairways, very good in the greens and has been in great form really since, what, the start of last year? Four runner-up finishes on the European Tour. He hasn't missed a cut. hasn't missed a cut for ages. Yeah. Uh, so Fitzpatrick, get yeah, his style of golf course. Yeah, imagine if he, he could win this week off in his second. That would do a lot for his Ryder Cup chances this year after missing out in 2018. Yeah. Obviously, if you go to the Golf Monthly website, there'll be my other four picks on an online post. So, yeah, go to the website to see those. So we had a few questions this week. One from James Allen, which was actually last week that we didn't get to answer. And I want to answer it because I've just finished Drive to Survive on Netflix. <laughs> The Formula One documentary, it is amazing. I, uh, I watched all 10 episodes in like three days. and This is from somebody who's not really an F1 fan as well. No, definitely yeah. not. So I watched, yeah. the, I watched it all last year. I got addicted and then the, the new series recently came out. And the things you learn about the drivers and behind the scenes and mainly it's the personalities that you get to meet. And golf doesn't quite have this. Uh, so he's, he's asking, do you think there will ever be a Netflix documentary on golf? Do I ever think it'll happen? No, but it would be amazing. Like all these drivers that I know now, like 
Carlos Sainz and Alex Albon and you know their stories and you really get invested in them and it makes you want to go and watch and become fans. F1's always got that kind of thing where during the race, usually very little happens. Like the odd overtaking stuff, DRS, all that stuff. But it's got the advantage of having a very glamorous kind of profile. It's like, oh, there's lots of money in it. There's very few drivers. Like, obviously, you've got big teams like Ferrari and Mercedes and things like that. It's just like, it's, it's got the advantage of having that kind of glamorous mindset. It goes to Monaco, all this kind of thing. Um, which golf, I think, will struggle to replicate. What I would say is that when you follow the lesser drivers or like the youngsters and they finish fifth or sixth for the first time, you can really like, you enjoy that with them when you're watching the program. And in the same way that, sorry, I'm going to try and explain this. If you're watching the Grand Prix and you, you only really pay attention to what's going on at the front. And like when you watch golf, you only really pay attention to who's going to win, but you really get to see what it's like for the guys who aren't winning, who are coming up, and it, uh, how much it means. How yeah, that was brilliant, and all this kind of stuff. Have you yeah. seen it, Night? I, I've, I haven't seen it. I'm not hugely into F1, but I've seen a few all or nothings. I think the issue with golf is that it, it's, it doesn't all build up to say a 90 minute or two hour, you know, event. It's something that um, goes on for a while, isn't it? Four days, and the player you're covering, if, they, if they're not in the thick of the tournament, then there's very limited interest there. I still actually think it lends itself fairly well in terms of learning more about their routines and what their personality is like. Um, and all or nothing now. So we've got programmes on F1, NFL, rugby. They did cricket one, didn't they? So I think golf will actually... I think it will happen for golf at some stage. I think they should do one on the European Tour following, uh, I don't know, 20 guys uh, throughout the season for the race, uh, race to Dubai. Because if they did it for the PGA Tour, I think the PGA Tour may try and control the message and make it look a little bit too... Yeah you know perfect and stuff Star whereas and corporate the, and yeah the thing about yeah. this f1 documentary is the players are swearing constantly things are going wrong there's arguments and that's what really gets you involved and i think the european tour would allow netflix or whoever would get involved to kind of have editorial oh, definitely isn't it? Decision it's the opportunity did you just say players when describing drivers that was a bit of a did i oh yeah. sorry oh, that's a um. faux pas <laughs> oh, <laughs> right. i'm sure we'll all live <laughs> Move on to the next one. This is a, a very interesting question from Ronaldo Solivano on Facebook. Great name. Yeah, that is a great name. Uh, would McIlroy prefer to re-hit his first at Portrush last summer or re-hit the 10th in the 2011 Masters? It's I think an easy, easy tenth. response. Tenth. Really? 10th of the Masters, yeah. 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 He's already in the thick of the tournament at that yeah. stage. I mean, he might hit a good tee shot on the, on the first at Portrush. Still got four and then, rounds and to go. And then not play very well for the other four rounds. Yeah, it's 10th. Definitely. One shot to put yourself in the thick of a tournament. And also, obviously, if he wins that, then he doesn't have to answer any of these questions about the career Grand Slam, whereas he's already won an Open Championship. I know he'd want to win an Open in his, in his home country, etc., etc. But I think if he gave him the choice, he would absolutely take T-shot on 10. On the flip side, though, goes to the Masters every year, whereas don't know when the Open's going to go back to Port Rush. It's on the flip side. What do you think would mean more to McElroy, winning an Open at Port Rush or winning the career Grand Slam that only, what, four people have ever done? But at the time, it wouldn't have been career Grand Slam, though. It'd just be his first major, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah, so really so nice. It depends how you see the timeline, I suppose, and et cetera, et cetera. But I would say... And then would he have gone and won the US Open six weeks later or eight weeks That's later? That's what's not defining the question, so a difficult to <laughs> yeah. If he, if he anyway. goes back and hits that tee shot and then the rest of his career doesn't pan out, it, it would have panned out organically off the back of that tee shot, then I would say 
Portrush because he's already won four opens at that, so four majors at that point. Also, Charles Schwartz will barely last four holes. McIlroy probably would have lost to him anyway. No, I think I think McIlroy would choose the tenth all day. Overhitting it out of bounds on the first yes. tee shot and the biggest week of his, his life his, and making an absolute car crash. 60th, exactly. 63rd exactly. Hole. Exactly. Exactly. There's yeah. only one winner. Yeah. Oh, interesting question. What do you right. think? Um, you didn't you didn't answer there. Initially, honestly, when I saw it, I thought Portrush just because. I know how much that meant to him. Not that I'm one yeah. of his best mates or anything, but you know, he's constantly said that was the biggest. Well, he's always talking career. about you. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I completely take your argument. You don't accept it though. <laughs> Although I, I still, I think if you asked it to him, he would say Portrush because he doesn't think he would have been able to finish it off anyway. Do you get what I'm saying? So even if he had it down the fairway, he probably still thinks in the back of his mind, I was 21 at the time, whatever. I still would have bottled it down the stretch you know I, I wasn't uh, ready to win the Masters oh, back I then I don't know yeah Rory if you're listening <laughs> yeah Rory come on answer that question for us what do you think Nigel you're making some funny faces at me it's just very difficult to answer hypotheticals like this because if he goes back to that moment hits the tee shot and the rest of what he's registered in his career goes away then obviously you would take Port Rush because he's already got the four majors in the bank so it depends if he gets to go, if he gets to keep his majors that he's already won and then still go back and somehow in some weird parallel universe hit that shot again <laughs> yeah. potentially win that tournament then obviously that's the only answer here I think okay, okay. next question right we've got a serious one from Nicole Wheatley from Agency Mediate uh, what do you think about Martin Slumber's statement that golf needs to change or dare I ask dot 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 I think Nigel and I have spoke about this quite a lot on the podcast just you know standard golf stuff but uh, Sam what do you think does golf need to change I think golf needs to try and do a little bit more in terms of changing like the awe around it because there is like as much as um it's tried like people portray it as like a game that oh it's for young people this kind of stuff get kids involved in the game grow the game all this kind of stuff it still has the aura of country club kind of old generation that kind of thing and i think more clubs can do more to try and address that and i think if that gets addressed i think more people play the game i must say at my golf club it's probably the traditional golf club you would see up and down the country and yeah there's not too many women there of younger age i'd say that's a massive target for the game so that's the way that the game needs to change is get more women involved one of the key problems i find in golf is that there are so many people and clubs that have the mindset of enclosing it keeping it just amongst who's there kind of thing just the members whereas that is changing though I, I think it is, but I think more can be done because if everybody had the mindset of, you know, let's get everybody enjoying it and playing the game, I think nobody loses from that. And yet people think people lose because, oh, they can't go and play on oh, Saturday. Oh, there are these kids in my slot, that kind of thing. I, I just think the changing in the mindset of getting everybody involved in the game rather than being enclosed and making sure you're, you, like, you're happy... Is, is a problem. I you, think. you are seeing more is examples up and down the country, though, of, of golf clubs sort of relaxing their dress codes, yes. having more sort of cafe style clubhouses, you know, having better competition software, better social media feeds, or more really engaging good. things, yeah. doing more community outreach. I think that's all true, and I think it is changing in that regard. One thing I often think when I hear stories like this is I think do think the potential for growth is, is capped by the sort of nature, the very nature of the sport. I don't think it's ever going to be 
hugely popular because I say this all the time, but it's difficult, it's expensive, and it takes ages. It doesn't have to be expensive, but the two main things are yeah. difficult and it takes a long time. And that's not going to change. It's difficult is, I think, the main one. Because yeah. like, you can't really... Unless you're just starting, it's like, oh, I've just hit it 30 yards. Like It's hard to get really like good at it quickly. And to have the patience is, in an era where people patience, don't have patience. Exactly. You think, am I going to yeah. spend a lot of money on lessons, get some new equipment, and then be rubbish for a year? Or am I going to hop on a bike? That, yeah. I mean, that's, what, that's what it's competing with, isn't it? Yeah. It's tricky. Too, too often... Uh, Golf gets criticised for being too expensive, but I think yeah, I think I, right. think, I, think, I think too difficult. I mean, is we have the a, main a, reason why. Yeah. In the current issue, we talk about we do a, a putter test with a fifteen pound putter. A yeah, putter exactly. Fifteen quid. Exactly. That's yeah, but if you wanted too. to go and play a round of golf, you would need to go buy a full set of clubs, That's or true. at least a half That's set. Not true. You don't have to you, buy, you buy a half set. set. Of yeah. You buy a half set. How so much is that going to cost? You could probably spend one hundred and fifty quid on a, a decent half set, and an okay half set. That's still ridiculously expensive I don't agree with that at all if I wanted to go play tennis I'd just go get a racket for a tenner we can hire clubs go, still go, can't go, you go and hire what, clubs that's what eBay exists borrow, for. Cl- borrow clubs from your friends if you just if you're you're not sure yet whether you're going to sign up to golf fully then why would you spend that money you'd just go and borrow some of someone who played golf but if you were committed to playing golf £150 for a half set is not a significant outlay at all I don't think interesting so what if you if you play netball or football or basketball with your mates that's like ridiculously cheap yeah but that's and just the, the nature of the sports is totally different like, yeah exactly yeah. golf is a very expensive sport I don't agree that it's a very expensive sport at all it's expensive in comparison to sports where you need a piece of land and a ball to play of course it is but golf can't really do anything about that the, the nature of the sport is that you have 14 clubs and you, I don't see that can't change Unless people will know, there's nothing stopping someone playing a round of golf with a, a driver and a seven iron and a putter. Hmm. No, yeah, I definitely think it's a society problem. It's, I don't really think the game could do a great deal more, like you said, yeah. unless it changes drastically. Yeah, but we are seeing more and more initiatives. We really are. I mean, I, I read about them a lot. We get much more press releases these days talking about flexible memberships, clubhouse renovations, more modern renovations you know six hole complexes simulators being installed we get way more press releases now yeah. about that stuff than we did when I joined six or seven years ago yeah so it is even, on the turn but it is capped as I say even things like three hole golf courses like as drastic as that well top golf and stuff like that I think is the way forward for a lot of people because that's yeah. seen as like a young cool hip thing to do you can yeah. drink whilst you play you can get all the food whilst you play you know there are targets there's something yeah. tangible whenever I go with, scores yeah whenever I go with any of my friends who don't play golf they love playing at Top Golf, yeah. love it, and they love crazy golf. Yeah, but that, that kind of thing. Tell you what, I did twice over the weekend, which was awesome. Is putt shack. So you I did it twice. To, I did it twice. I did it on Thursday and Friday. Just, that's how the schedule panned out. And I went to two different locations in London. One was in White City, and one was in Bank. And you don't have you don't have a scorecard. Is this an advertisement? No, no. I, just, <laughs> I thought it was a really really good concept. You don't, putt shack. You don't have a scorecard. You don't have to walk around with a scorecard and a pencil. There are no pars. You get points. So it encourages you to go for a risky shot, and oh, if you this do, is why you like if it. you do that and pull it off, you get sort of twenty extra points. But then there are hazards. If you hit it in the hazard, you lose ten points, and so you get fifty, sixty, forty points per hole, and it's done like that. And you have a chip in your ball, so you don't need to carry around a pencil and a oh, scorecard cool. and all that stuff, and it just adds it up automatically. I thought it was a really exciting take on crazy golf. Uh, so, yeah, there are, and are both, there are both, sorry, <laughs> both were absolutely swarming as well. Yeah, there are other uh, trendy hipster locations where you can play crazy golf indoors available. But whenever I go to these places, they're always so packed. Yeah. Yeah. 
I went to the one in Liverpool, I was saying, yeah. a couple of weeks ago and uh, dropped about 60 quid in about 45 yeah. minutes. Yeah. yeah, Maybe not that much. Maybe that's an exaggeration. On Friday, we but... were waiting for the queue for the first tee was, must have been 10 groups deep. So busy. People were loving it. So clearly there is like an avenue where people want to get want to play the game yeah the it's transition just, it's just from, getting them into it and yeah. then keeping them there is well the transition from crazy golf to regular golf is exactly is quite well, so quite what you were well. saying about your friends going down top golf and i relate this to my girlfriend who i got into golf a couple of summers ago she got pretty decent on the driving range took her out to the pitch and putt course and for lack of a better word she was hopeless <laughs> and your friends yeah. as well like i'd say she's hope she was good on the full shots but couldn't quite knack like do um, pitching and stuff do pitching and bunker okay. play and stuff uh, but like your mates I bet they're half decent or whatever but it's translating that into short game and putting and that is yeah. what's going to keep clubs afloat by paying green fees and memberships and I think that's the really difficult bit is learning to actually how, how to get the golf ball in the hole yeah none of us here have learned how to do that yet have we but like how can you make that fun like playing crazy golf at putt shack or whatever that's not going to make you start two putting from 40 foot no it's a very on. difficult transition that requires time and effort and energy and that's the yeah, issue yeah so I think we've answered that question yeah I <laughs> think after a while we've had a discussion uh, right so I will say next week we should have Joel Tadman on to speak about all the latest golf gear he was meant to be on this week but there's been a bit of a mix up Tom will also be back from his centre parks excursion Nigel and I have been cut yeah brutal brutal yeah um, <laughs> go away and look, look, <laughs> yeah. Go away and look at our performance in the cold light of day and see what we can yeah. do to improve. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so thanks for listening this week. We'll be back again next week. Like I said, we'll be reviewing the Players Championship. Please leave us a review if you listen on Apple Podcasts and subscribe on your usual provider. Remember to join our Facebook group called The Clubhouse, www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash The Clubhouse Golf Monthly. Uh, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Golf Monthly and Facebook at Golf Monthly Magazine. Until next week, thanks for chaps and uh, listeners, you'll hear from us next week. Bye.